BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Incomparable, number 617, June 2022. Welcome back to The Incomparable, everybody. My name's Chip Sutterth, and we are gathered here today to talk about yet another entry into the Marvel Cinematic Canon. Even though it's not technically cinematic, it was on TV. We are, of course, talking about Moon Knight from Disney+. And with me is at least a portion of the Aeneid. Uh, I want to say hello to Biff's own Dan Morin. Oh, uh, hi. Am I Dan Morton or am I Stephen Grant or am I Mark Spector? I guess we'll have to find out. I think you're Guy English. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> Next up in alphabetical order, it's our own Glenn Fleischman. Well, hello. I'm here to protect all the travelers in podcasts wherever you may roam. And I said next in alphabetical order because I was looking <laughs> straight at Erica's screen name. Not Holly Go Darkly. It's Erica Ensign. Hello, I'm I'm here to represent the uh, call them Marvel incompletionists. And finally, our own Moises Chuyan. I swear to God, that wasn't me. <laughs> Chip, I think you're going in Arabic uh, alphabetic order, which is appropriate. So there you go. So uh, Moon Knight ran for six episodes on Disney Plus, and I think that I can speak for all of Marveldom United when most of the people who watch the MCU stuff said, who? Because Moon Knight is <laughs> is a cult favorite character in the comics and barely visible outside of the comics, but you almost could have said the same thing for Iron Man back in the day. I literally did say that same thing for Iron Man back in the day. I had never heard of him. I have heard of Moon Knight, but mostly because you guys keep joking about him. Now, why on earth would we joke about Moon Knight? It's not Honestly, like... at this point, I, I don't know because everybody compares him to Batman and I'm, now I've watched this well, and I'm like, why are you comparing him to Batman? <laughs> because, I do not get it. Yeah, the, the TV show is not, I mean, you know, as always, the MCU does its own interpretation and spin on its on the original source material. And in many of the Moon Knight comics, he's just a dude who dresses up in a white outfit and fights crime. And has <laughs> like, a mooncopter. Oh. Yeah, I mean, literally, <laughs> yeah, it, it is much more, you know, they, they took a lot more, uh, oh, liberties isn't quite the right word, but they diverged a lot from the comic book in, I think, what I would argue is mostly positive fashion. Well, yeah, let's 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 talk about, let's further explore Moon Knight's just this guy, you know? Uh, my experience with the character is limited. Um, I was a peak comic book reader in the... 80s and 90s and most of the stuff that i saw of moon knight he was a backup character basically a member of the west coast avengers during a very very weird stretch of that comic book and 
afterwards, uh, my younger brother had a few issues of the comic series that followed that. And Discount Batman was basically the vibe. But I am given to understand that this series resembles more recent comics quite a bit. And I wanted to toss it out to the comics experts among us to say a little bit more about this new Moon Knight. The things along those lines that, that come to mind are the Mr. Knight suit is uh, is something that is from very recent comics. Um, the there are um, there are sequences uh, in a, a sanitarium that are very reminiscent of a recent Jeff Lemire run that sprang out of uh, the comics. The Mr. Knight suit uh, created by Declan Shalvey uh, first made its appearance. Um, I, I think we I, found I think, our comics expert guys. Maybe a little bit. Um, uh, I can't say that like Jason, I've been reading this since the seventies since that's from before I was born. Cue the buzz kill sound. Um, <laughs> no, that was the buzz kill sound. It's your voice. <laughs> voice <says. laughs> um, but I, I've been, I've been reading Moon Knight comics for, for quite some time. And, um, and honestly, the, the thing that I think, is best about the show is that they focused very heavily on staying away from the, he's basically just Batman thing that we have all joked about so much and look at, at pushing in much harder on the supernatural aspects of things, um, pulling away from, uh, from, from some of the, uh, earlier runs that positioned, uh, position things a bit differently than, what I'd say is arguably much more in common with an Alfred Hitchcock wrong man movie um, where uh, it, someone is terrorizing this man and it turns out it's himself. <laughs> hmm. um, and and I think that that the direction that Jeremy Slater took on the scripting side of things is what makes this work and what makes it confusing to people who've been hearing about us talk about the character for years <laughs> as well. He's, he's Batman with less paint, uh, arguably much less paint. Um, because this is that this is not that character, um, and that's something that that's common across a bunch of Marvel characters that have been compared to DC characters and vice versa. Uh, Thanos and um, and uh, oh, oh, the guy from Apocalypse, Dark Side, Dark Side, uh, Thanos and Dark Side. Boy, do they have a lot of things in common. Turns out, uh, turns out one of them was very very directly inspired by the other because Jim Starlin was a big fan of Jack Kirby. Um, th that's something that you see across so many of these Marvel and DC characters that they were going to need to start at some point making hard turns away from those kinds of comparisons, uh, so that, so that they're really going toward what makes their intellectual property more unique than, oh, it's just a palette swap version of this other company's character. Well, and to Moises's point, I mean, I think one of the most interesting things that this takes from later runs, uh, which I think started being a thing sort of in the maybe as early as the late 80s, 90s, is originally the sort of Moon Knight was, you know, had this alter ego, Mark Spector, who himself had like different aliases that he operated under that had different sort of, you know, they were like cover identities. And, you know, I won't blow the spoiler horn too much to say that in later versions, these are not like identities that he dons in the same way that, you know, Bruce Wayne would pretend to be uh, Matches Malone in the Batman <laughs> animated series. <laughs> nice. Uh, but, you know, actually 
different personalities that he yeah. suffers from a dissociative identity disorder. Like that is a, a newer addition to it. And it one that has been greatly complexified and sort of added a lot of nuance to this character. I mean, originally he, he was almost a little bit more Batman meets the saint in terms of how that was mm. executed to, to quote one of mine and Dan's favorite motion pictures ever made. <laughs> so, that I think is the heart of this thing. Uh, let's go ahead and just, uh, you, you know, we've been dancing around it. Let's go ahead and fire off the spoiler horn. I think it's fair to say that the heart of this series, more than anything else, more than the Egyptian mythology, more than the uh, the sort of gritty urban aspect of the violence before we get to kaiju season i think the heart of this thing is the dissociative identity disorder and the relationship between mark specter and stephen grant and i think that's sort of the thing that defines this series to me compared to other mcu products uh erica you're brand new to this character other than us making fun of moon knight um (laughs) What did you think of Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant slash character to be named later? Well, I, um, I'll admit it. I came for Oscar Isaac. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's really the only reason that I showed up in the first place. I don't mean to this pod- podcast because he's not going to be here. I'm sorry to say. Oh, uh, I'm, but I'm I mean leaving. to the show, <laughs> Moon Knight. Uh. Um, I, I, the only thing that I like knew about the, the character was, like I said, you guys had joked. And he was kind of like Batman who wears white. Uh, but then I saw, oh, hello, Oscar Isaac. And it looks like he might be playing a couple of different characters. He's got some different accents. Sure, I'm in for that. And uh, overall, it it really worked for me. Coming in knowing basically nothing about the character, it was a really, I thought, fun journey of discovery. Um, I'm always a fan of watching a show where I am learning things at the same time as at least one of the point of view characters is. And and I feel like especially the first few episodes do a nice job of of putting you in that WTF sort of frame of mind because I didn't know what was happening. And clearly neither did uh, Stephen Grant, Oscar Isaac's character for those for those first few episodes. Um, I liked uh, later on watching him interact with himself you know double the oscar isaac is never <laughs> a bad thing uh when it comes to the actual like portrayal of dissociative identity disorder like i i feel like i'm not qualified to opine on that very much because while i definitely have mental health issues that i am working on dealing with they do not you know go in that direction at all so i would be interested in hearing from people who do have uh, issues that are similar to this and and see how they felt whether or not this was a uh, you know a, per- a portrayal that left them cold or that actually touched people um from just a purely entertainment perspective i found it uh, touching and I found it, uh, it enthusiastically, like I was enthusiastically entertained by it. Um, and and then after Oscar Isaac, uh, I actually ended up enjoying the rest of the characters and the rest of huh. the uh, the actors as well. So I don't want to say it was just him, but he. I showed up for him. I stayed for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I will just to say, I mean, I, again, I, I like Eric. I don't necessarily have the background to speak about it, but I think that it still seemed clear to me as a layperson that. I felt like they tried to treat it very respectfully and not turn it into a gimmick. Yeah, um, it wasn't joking. whether or not they were successful. I don't know, but that felt like the that's what it felt like came through to me as a viewer was that they really weren't going to brush it off 
as a incidental thing or turn it into I don't know. Like I feel like the uh, there there have been differing um, treatments of say disabled superheroes. I think of some of the Daredevil portrayals that we've seen over the years. Some of which do better jobs than others in sort of trying to handle that. I felt like in this case they were telling a story that was where that was an integral aspect and not just a sort of window dressing. Not window dressing, nor was it something that was you know, generated by Kanshu or, you know, right. or that there's a magic explanation yeah. for the multiple personalities or anything else like that. Um, Mark Spector's dissociative identity disorder is inherent to him. It's inherent to um, how he was born and uh, the experiences that he suffered as a child. Uh Glenn, what did you think of uh, Oscar Isaac and the characters that he portrayed? I uh, I know knew a little bit about Moon Knight, but I didn't know this whole backstory. So it was kind of great to come to it fresh and have very little idea about what was going what going on, and just get to kind of go along for the ride. Also, um, I read some of the newer it's the Avengers series um, where Moon Knight has a much more prominent role, along with uh, Black Panther and some other characters in kind of dealing with you know global or universal uh, destruction issues going on. So it's not that is not even really mentioned in that. So I'd read a lot of stuff involving a moon night, a recent moon night, but not anything that, uh, that dealt with any of this. Um, you know, I guess I, I'll, I'll give you the, my, uh, uh, 50,000 miles above the earth, um, take initially just, which is that one of the reasons I like Marvel's approach to how they adapt these properties, these characters and people that we've, you know, some of us have grown up with as characters we've loved and some that are fresh, to us, but have deep roots. Uh, I feel like they've, they always try to find uh, a path for a broken person to be healed. I mean, that's kind of, I don't know, not being corny, but I think it is a little corny, right? Is that everybody in the Marvel universe has something where they're trying to be made whole. And sometimes they're a superhero uh, and that happens. Sometimes they're a normal person without any superpowers and um, you know, uh, something happens to them that helps them find a path where they're, you know, no longer as terrible shape or they have their lost along the ways. Right. And so this followed a little bit of that, but you couldn't tell at first what was going on. I assumed he was, you know, inhabited by a, a spirit like Khonshu was making things happen and that this wasn't an integral thing. And I feel like it was kind of a, it was funny because it felt like the show, you know, it meandered in some places, but in an interesting way that we got to explore uh, Mark's uh, and Mark's psyche and what made him who he was, um, even to the point that he wound up, you know, falling in with the wrong person and then and then going down this path. Um, there's I do like the whole I like the whole series approach. So I watched it with my 15 year old and we would have morality discussions around this, of course, as one does with all Marvel movies. And we're watching it. And we're like, you know, we kind of like Harrow, like not like 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 he's got, you know, obviously some very negative properties about him. Uh, just, a issues, just, just a little genocidal. Just a little. But well, not exactly, though. He doesn't have the typical. He's not trying to kill everybody. He has a particular worldview after Khonshu broke him. Right. Khonshu is to blame. As, as Harrow would say, maybe that's not legitimate, but maybe it is, because uh, Khonshu doesn't really care about who he crushes in his search for the kind of justice he thinks needs to be um, extracted. And Ahmed is just, you know, the the, the way Ahmed is portrayed um, is not positive all, that whole, like, you know, removal of all free will. And um, But that's an interesting discussion to have, right? You watch this very entertaining show in which this issue is being wrestled about whether, well, what if you could just kill everybody who might ever commit evil because Ahmed 
ostensibly can see that all futures are unchanged. And the show tells us, well, that's not exactly the case, that there are different destinies that Amit is clearly wrong in this universe, uh, however right she thinks she is, and therefore Harrow is wrong. But there's just those lovely bits where it's like, oh, Har you know, Harrow is so... I think there's few people we identify as villains who are so uh, solicitous and seemingly genuinely caring in a very particular way uh, without it having to do with a way that he accrues something to himself. He is trying to bring Amit to ascendancy and figures he's going to go to, you know, the, the, the dusty sands there forever because he's not actually worthy. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of like that whole exploration, but, you know, I, I, I got to say, I came for Os Oscar Isaac also, because who doesn't want to watch Oscar <laughs> Welcome, Isaac? Welcome, my friend. <laughs> yes, it was great. I, I was like, whatever he does is going to be great. So that's terrific. And I'm sure I'll enjoy the show, too. So I do think that there's actually something a little more interesting about a bad guy that has a mission to, like, kill half of everybody because of reasons because of predestined to evil or something versus Thanos, who is powered by random.org. Well, isn't isn't Harrow also we don't know how many people Amit will kill. That's kind of the problem. Like it's like the good place. It's like is the system really bad and Amit's gonna kill ninety seven percent right. well, of all people. Uh, what's interesting too is Harrow is is more uh, he is more devoted or at least more aligned with the speculative cause than even Amit is, as we see towards mm. the end, where Amit's willing to like take a oh you're not so bad. I'll keep you around because you've done such a good job. Whereas he is really like, no, I, I, I submit myself to the judgment as I would expect everybody else to. So in some way, he is his belief is more pure even, which does lend your question of, well, is Amit's system really as just yeah. as Amit claims or is Amit just using that as sort of cover? I actually thought at that point where, you know, Harrow mm -hmm. is befuddled by the fact that Amit is saying, no, 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 I'm going to keep you around. The reason that I'm judging you uh, harshly is because of the things that you're going to do because I'm going to keep you around. And he looks but genuinely perplexed at this. And yeah. I thought maybe the way that Amit was actually going to be overthrown was b by Harrow recognizing that she is not as pure as she claimed. And he was going to, you know, throw in his lot with Moon Knight or, or something basically to, to cast Amit down. And then the fact that he didn't made me think, OK, well, I guess I, he's not as pure as he thought he was either. Well, so, he, he is he and he and Mark have one thing in common. They've both been horribly abused by this yeah. annoying bird-headed god. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to describe him. He's annoying. Truth. But he's F. Murray Abraham, so we let him get away with it. It's yeah. true. He, he does. I, I know we're going to talk about everybody, but I, I just want to highlight, I, I love the character. I, so, you know, Mark and Harrow have the primary... Well, I shouldn't say that, right? It's Mark and Mark and Harrow and Khonshu kind of have a primary thing. But wow, you know, there's another show in here that intersects, which is the Lila uh, Alfaouli uh, character, uh, May Kalamawi, uh, Kalamawi, uh, where we're, I think she's a tremendous performer. And I think the role is written extremely well. And she has her own journey. She's on camera many times when Mark is not. She is more competent in many ways than either. I mean, certainly more competent than Steven, who's supposed to be a bumbler by his, you know, his traumatic creation is almost that. Um, but she's such a great, she's such a great character. I'm like, well, well they could just spin this off right now. We can have our, uh, our Scarlet Scarab series and no one would be like, oh no, that doesn't make any sense. But like, sure. But, but what a compelling performer, what a serious um, things they gave her to do, uh, you know, loss and betrayal and, uh, and, and justice. And turning down a God, whereas he, oh, you know, man. he couldn't. <laughs> 
Yeah. Again yeah. and again, right? And then a great outfit at the end. She got that great, you know, super duper. Except bared arms, come on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Moon Knight gets to be entirely covered up and the lady has to be partially bare. <laughs> Mm. Always the case. I'll, yeah, I, I mean, mean they're right, great they, arms. They to, Don't get me wrong. They, they try to excuse that because, of course, um, and I'll get this wrong. We were talking about this before. Tawirit. Tawirit. Glenn, are you pronouncing it as an American or your British alter? Tawirit. Tawirit. But I love that line where she's like, I've been working this up, right? She's been developing this outfit. I have some ideas. And that was kind of kind of a cute little It was very... I want to mention a little bit, you mentioned Steven as a bumbler, which I think is is true. He's definitely the more comedic of them. But one of the things I love so much about this series is how he and Mark complement each other. And how, as you, I think you put well, Glenn, like this search for becoming whole in a certain way is about them trying to reconcile with each other. The, mm. the fact that even though they are two people inhabiting a body, it requires them both to be whole. And I love some of the give and take between the two personalities as they progress through this adventure to the point where they, rather than being at war with one another as they are in early episodes where they're struggling for control and each wants to live their own life, um, they get to a point where they realize how much they rely on the other. So, you know, Steven turns the body over to Mark when they're in, you know, sort of mortal peril at a few points. But Mark turns it over to Steven when they are in this, like in need of his expertise, all this information he has at his fingertips about uh, a sort of a more cerebral approach when it comes to either the Egyptology or even like the the stuff with the stars later on. Like, I, I really love that dynamic of these two characters who who have to end up working together kind of reminds me of like, uh, I don't know, something like L.A. Confidential, which is, you know, like a, <laughs> a movie predicated on two characters who hate each other, but in the end need to team up because they have something in common. Sure. Yeah, it's a buddy. It, it's a buddy cop movie, but it's yeah. the same cop. It's yeah. a buddy cop movie with one cop. For and sure. I, not I a cop, too, not I like a cop. Yeah, I like the progression of it, too, because I think like maybe some of my favorite moments were just at the very end where they had not integrated, but were a a team and were flipping, you know, the body basically back and forth. And you get to see, you know, like the suit going back and forth. And like I, I, you know, honestly, seeing the two of them hug when they were in the, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the psych ward area was just like that. My heart was overflowing i almost cried because i was just like this is this is a a beautiful visualization of something that you know i i love to think of happening for people who are going through this kind of this kind of thing so i like the fact that yeah as you said dan they were they started out really antagonistic toward each other and by the end they were buddies yeah yeah and then um and it's and it, it gets even more complicated than that because you know they hug each other and yet when her their when their hearts are on the scales, mm. they're never in balance until one of them goes over the edge. And you'd think that them being together and hugging each other would put them in balance. But there's this third altar yep. that we get hints of all the way through the series until the end uh when Harrow gets dispatched the way Khonshu wanted it done all along. And I'm I don't know if there's going to be a genuine Moon Knight season two. Uh, they've been kind of cagey about that. 
but I I want to see where I want to see where this goes. I want to see more of this third altar. It, de- it definitely feels like a story that didn't end there, right? I mean, regardless of how you want to continue the story of these characters, there is that is not a way that you end. <laughs> Yeah. And to show it feels like. I mean, you just opened another door. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we talk about the psych ward too? Because that was, you know, it's a challenging thing to do and it's kind of a trope, right? Everybody, there's always these scenes. Is somebody insane and we're seeing there something play out inside of them and it's all delusion. And then we pull out. In this case, we pulled in, right? We pulled into the psych ward in their mind, which is clever. And um, the fact that he had to act out certain scenarios and uh, was not in control and was seeing these avatar avatars of people on the outside in different roles, but that he really had to meet himself and then encounter, you know, I mean, this is a long therapy session, right? It was a really diff- it was a group therapy session for one person where they had to confront these. I mean, what, a, oh, I mean, gosh, was that heartbreaking? That whole business with the mother, but you can also, you can, you know, I think we probably all know families in which there was a, was a death and the parent never recovered or never fully was able to embrace the other person. I was reading about, uh, what is it? The other day there was a historical figure whose, um, mother never, uh, I'm forgetting who it was. The younger child died and the, the older child was always almost called by that person's name. And the mother was essentially broken, right? Like she never recovered. So it's a, it, that's not a trope. That's a thing that happens in reality. And so they portray her and she is judged because she's also violent towards her child. So she's committing abuse to him. I mean, she's really, she's ruins his life. Um, but it's not judgmental in the sense that it, it makes her into a mon, like an unrealistic monster. She is a human being who was broken and then she broke her child and, and the child has to find a way back as a, you know, to, to be able to lead a life and then you get to throw in all the gods and everything else on top of it, compl- you know, giving it complexity, but, but Khonshu gives him more life. It gives him the chance to actually achieve that kind of healing that he needs because he's, you know, he, d- he didn't die. He was brought back from the dead. So that's kind of nice when you can get that, if you need more healing and you just, you know, <laughs> can have a come back from the dead. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I want to uh, take a moment. We'll go back to some of the characters, but I do want to take a moment to take a look at how this series sort of fits into the broader Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, in part because this series almost doesn't connect at all to the MCU. There's a passing reference to the afterlife from Black Panther, but other than that, there's not a lot of direct connective tissue. Uh, you get a little girl saying, are you an Egyptian superhero? It's <laughs> like, sweet. okay, that, that's superheroes are right. Yep. One of my favorite moments in the whole series. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the girl asking that and uh, and Layla matter of factly saying, I am. Uh, but uh, where do you all think? Uh, and let's uh, I'd like to start with you, Moises. Uh, 
how does this stand up as a piece of the MCU? How's it compared to the other series? I, I think it's great. Uh, and um, regardless of whether people were into the particular stories of WandaVision and Moon Knight, the thing that I like most about them structurally is that they feel like having viewed the the visual uh, you know um you know uh motion picture screen equivalent of a six issue comic book miniseries uh or trade paperback um I, that's one of the things about comics that that I think is incredibly crucial to making the most out of characters that are be, being used from that medium um it's it's not just these characters it it really is in part the delivery method of getting getting stuff serialized where if you look at the the MCU before Marvel Studios started doing TV series it was serialized in that you those first 27 movies were a 127 part crossover oh. event um that that diverged across to individual solo stories and sequels to solo stories and that sort of thing and this is this is a slightly different take that arguably goes goes back to the source material more directly than they have with the movies where you have the additional installments, you have more richness um, built for, for a smaller number of characters or a smaller number of characters when it comes to the big crossover event. Um, and, and you, you get more of the kind of time that you get in the comics to develop these characters before you're suddenly throwing them at a giant void in space. That's going to swallow <laughs> us all. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's an aspect of it that, that I like a great deal in adaptation that doesn't have anything to do with, you know, whether it's like a story from the seventies or the aughts. Um, and, and I think when we do get into that aspect of things, this is one of the Marvel properties that has benefited the most from taking a, uh, taking a look at, okay, what is it that we like about and we believe is crucial to defining this character? And embracing a lot of the modern, um, uh, one would say, updates uh, that that have been done to this character, uh, where in some cases certain things were much more sacrosanct with characters like Captain America or Thor. Um, Moon Knight is Moon Knight, and uh, I think in particular the the thing that people who allege themselves to be hardcore Moon Knight fans, though I don't know if they really are. Um, didn't like that they messed with things and that they, they started us off kilter with this character who was not Mark Spector, but was Stephen Grant. And didn't we know, but in the comics, Stephen Grant was blah, 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 blah. I don't care. This is the way that they're telling this story. And frankly, I prefer it. Um, if you're going to enact retroactive continuity, start at the start with a character. Don't rehab them part of the way through. Uh, which is something that they've, you know, uh, I, I think, um, honestly avoided uh, throughout all of their MCU shenanigans reasonably well by by employing this kind of tactic. Um, I, are, you I saying, think that's, are you saying that somebody's acting as an Osiris gatekeeper? That's yeah, what it, something like that. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> Moises, I couldn't disagree with you more. I think this series was ruined by the fact that Stephen Grant was not a millionaire playboy. Hey, hey! But there's that, there's that, there's that license plate at the end. I don't know. I don't know. The, I mean, 
I mean, I think there's a good point. I, I agree that there's a, it's a distillation in many ways, right? And and I think what's fascinating about this series too is it's the first of the Disney Plus series that does not is not effectively bootstrapped by a previous. Uh, mm. Basically, a side character, you know, a character who maybe was not a title character in one of the movies, but appears as a supporting character. You know, we had Wanda and Vision, we had Sam and Bucky, we had Loki, we had even Clint, right? None of those people had standalone stories, but they were all characters who got a little bit of time in the movies. Mm-hmm. This is, there's nothing. There's nothing that connects us, as, as Chip said, character wise, certainly, and even barely on the plot wise. And so it's a it's I mean, an experiment. We don't, we don't even know whether this happens before or after the snap. We have no indication of that whatsoever. Technically, you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it doesn't say. And I mean, I think that's fascinating. It's also a big experiment for for Disney, right? Because it it lets them see can we spin out these characters, you know, from our deep catalog of IP and bring yeah. in characters that have not been established in the cinematic, you know, universe and sort of create something whole cloth around them. And I think they proved not only can they do that, but they can diverge a bit from tone, right? I mean, there's certainly aspects of this that are, it's a little bit darker in a lot of places than a lot of the MCU movies, uh, perhaps accepting the latest Doctor Strange, which also has sort of a horror vibe going on. But, you know, that is a, it's an ability for them to play a little bit more fast and loose with what kind of stuff they can do. Although I will say, I was disappointed there was not a post-credit scene where Mahershala Ali shows up as Blade, and then they go to find Dracula to oh, pay Moon yeah. his goddamn yeah, money. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hey. Save something for the Werewolf by Night Halloween special. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is actually a thing, by the way. I want to circle to the horror element, though, too, which is it feels like um, between uh, this series, uh, parts of What If, and also, um, gosh, what's the other series I'm thinking of? Not the... Uh, Oh shoot! There's one other the the Disney Plus series that was like this, uh, and then uh, multiverse multiverse of madness. Um, Marvel is much more willing to do horror stuff. Like there are moments where you're just like, oh my god! Like you know, I mean, there was a great like I feel like they were playing with the the Egyptian you know movie uh, the mummy style movie things actually like right they have the movie within the movie that we get to see that looks like um, a quarter main or uh, you know uh, rom- not romancing the stone. What's the one I'm thinking of? <laughs> not romancing the stone. The um, the other one, uh, you know what I mean? The movie with the person who gets dipped in pure in gold. Uh, oh, oh my gosh. Have I lost uh, my mind? You know what I'm talking about? Not, not the Indiana Jones, the alternative. Well, the now other I'm series. losing my mind. Thanks. Glenn. The other series that well, you just um, said Ellen Quartermain and the lost city of gold. I thought that's what that's you meant. it. That's yeah. what I meant. I'm sorry. Not yeah, romantic, but you already so. said it. <laughs> I don't, uh, well, that's how I work. So, but like it's, you know, it had much more of that vibe than say the Indiana Jones one, which is more self-referential or the movie inside the movie. Then we have, of course, we get, um, the, uh, uh, Layla inside the film without really with Steven's there a little bit, right? We don't really see Mark and, uh, and Layla's going through like dealing with all those incredible horrific elements, the mummy, like pulling out the organs of the uh, police officer and the triple shot scare, right? Wasn't that like three beats? It was like, she gets pulled back by the mummy and then comes out, pulled back again, then comes out and then flings it over the cliff. And then Harrow's like very dryly. Oh yeah, I knew, you know, I knew you're pretty great. It was just a little, you know, but we, we got um, jump shocks and so forth. So we, we're getting, zombies uh, what is the other series not what if there's another marvel series on loki. disney plus loki yeah loki wasn't didn't have exactly the horror elements i guess no, that's but, right. i had the multiverse yeah. but yeah. The, but um, i'm thinking of it anyway but so there marvel is it's not going oh, for there are only like everything. four of them glenn yeah <laughs> 
the WandaVision, if you're thinking of anything. WandaVision, I'm sorry, WandaVision, those two, the two moments where you see the dead uh, Vision and the dead brother, right? The dead Quicksilver, Peter, um, Pietro, or Pietro? Pietro. Pietro, Pietro, thank you, not Pietro. Think of the wrong person. That's, uh, uh, but so they're willing to go more in on- That's the guy we voted for in That's right. But that's, I, uh, I'm sorry, my whole point is that. I didn't expect Marvel to go as fully towards horror and they're not all in, but they're willing to use the elements in a way that is surprising. And actually, and again, with my 15 year old who is okay with the horror stuff, I'm, you know, I'm okay with it. Not my favorite genre. Like I have got too freaked out by it. Um, it's just enough. Typically we're like, wow, that was really, that was something, that's something you don't get to see in everything that's made. And I think it's kind of exciting that they're willing to throw that as part of the mix of stuff. There's like humor, there's really serious stuff. There's, you know, mystery and intrigue. There's a little bit of romance sometimes even right and then there's some horror it's great there's also something that you see more of in this than you have in the average mcu product and that's blood um and blood watching this i started to get a feel for where i think the mcu will be going as they bring back characters like Daredevil, uh, who is reported to be getting a rebooted series that will be a continuation of the Netflix series. Uh, the Netflix series, Marvel series, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones, The Defenders, I bounced off of them pretty quickly. Um, mm. There's a scene in early Daredevil with, that involves a, a spiky fence post, and yeah. that was yep. that was too much. That was too much for me. I I'm the sort of person who really wants my superheroes to be in that comfortable PG-13, where just just brutal enough, but not too brutal. Um, this edged toward, but didn't get to that Netflix level, and with with Disney plus having implemented parental controls and, um, bringing the Netflix series back, I see a lot more freedom for the Marvel series to really make things tougher in a horror way, in a, uh, violent way in terms of action and adventure. You may not be getting pulling beating hearts out of chess, mm. a la, <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones, but I do think that, uh, you know, this was a this was a tougher series than any of the other Marvel products to this point, and honestly, most of the Marvel movies. A couple of quick things that that makes me immediately think of. Uh, we mentioned the Paulette Swap Batman thing earlier. One of my other shorthands for Moon Knight was Murder Batman, because oh. Moon Knight will just murk a guy um, if they mess with the wrong traveler in the night, uh, and and the harder edge darker tinged thing was very much a part of of where uh doug mentioned bill sinkevich came from in conceptualizing the character the vibe the look um he he is he is not exactly your uh your bright and shiny during the day avenger um he uh he is a dark knight um that is out there doing Mm. stuff uh and and that um dressed in toilet paper that line that Batman doesn't cross of shooting or killing people, if uh, killing people, if it can be avoided shooting people, never, unless you're Zack Snyder, um, that, that really is one of the bigger defining parts of the character. And you mentioned Layla and, and something we haven't uh, gotten to uh, that has to do with the adaptation that I love about this character is she is a new character that draws 
bits of two existing characters that are not her. She is not, she is not the same character as the character in the comics who is a love interest and Mark's wife. They are two different women who are Mark's wife. Uh, and, and the thing that I've seen that I think, um, short changes her as a character is, Oh, they just changed the ethnicity of this character in the comics. I'm not even going to name her. Um, I don't think that's true at all. Um, but, but as, as Glenn was, was getting into, and as, as we've discussed, I think quite a bit, I think we're, we're officially the Scarlet Scarab fan club now. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, definitely. Give me my she, little pin. <laughs> she, she has more agency than that wife accessory character that was created in the seventies. They went, well, we need someone who has that as an aspect of their character and rebuilt her from the ground up. And then also gave her the mantle of the Scarlet Scarab, which is a totally different character in the comics. Um, and I think, I think to me that they are willing to, uh, put in effort to do that sort of stuff while at once figuring out as, as, um, as Chip alludes to this, this uneasy ground of, well, just how PG 13 are we going to get? And what does PG 13 even mean at this point? Um, I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's interesting that, you know, it it didn't even occur to me that this was more violent than any of the rest of it or more bloody or anything. I, I guess I just I watch a wide range of television and it didn't it didn't dawn on me until you guys were mentioning it. And, and yep, now I see it. Uh, one of the things that I think for me sort of not exactly diffused it, but uh, distracted me from it a little bit was the fact that we actually have one of our point of view characters is not a violent guy. He doesn't really yeah. know how to fight. Uh, you know, we actually start from the perspective of of Dr. Stephen Grant, who is not a fighter and who is not super violent and doesn't really know what any of that means. And also, actually, that kind of plays into part of why I love Layla's character so much is that. Yes, she's Mark's wife, and yes, they are estranged, but when we really first get to see her, we're seeing her through somebody else's eyes entirely, through the eyes of somebody who thinks she's a freaking badass, which she is, uh, and is not interested in taking away her agency and making sure she doesn't become the avatar of, of whatever it is. So, I mean, it's it's kind of a neat trick how the show is able to have it both ways. You get your, your main mm. titular character as, you know, wanting to protect the damsel that he thinks is in distress. And also being somebody who is totally not nearly as cool as that damsel um, and who is rescued by her again and again. And honestly, she rescues Mark as well. Uh, she's she's all over the place rescuing everybody. Um, so I just I, I I think having the the lightness is not the right word and comic relief also not exactly the right word, but just sort of being a more, you know, even though in the end he ends up being not the, the quote unquote real person, but the uh, the character of, of Stephen Gray being somebody who is a perfect POV character to start with because he doesn't know what's happening any more than we do. Uh, just circling back to like the first thing I said about this show. Yeah, I love the fact that he is, that Stephen Grant, per, Stephen Grant persona refuses to give up the body because he is horrified at the violence that Mark is capable of. Yeah. And I love that tension. And even sometimes the violence that Mark doesn't do, as we learn later, there's a couple great scenes in the episode that oh, takes man. place predominantly in Cairo where he blacks out yeah. and terrible violence and even the finale where terrible violence is committed but it's committed off screen like we don't even see we see the <laughs> aftermath of it and I will say it to the violence point I mean I think what's the, the sort of magic trick that the MCU has been trying to accomplish especially as it goes into its you know 
30, we're past the twenties in movies, um, is trying to maintain a consistent tone throughout, but allowing them to push those boundaries. And I think to your point about whether or not they'll tip it over, I think this is them pushing the boundaries a little bit, but I think they don't really want to totally break through. I mean, this is not going to become the boys or, you know, something that is much more, right? That's not, they're not interested in doing that. I think there may be exceptions carved out if there seems there's another Mm -hmm. Deadpool movie they're doing. That is a different sort of beast entirely in some ways, but Deadpool gets it, gets special dispensation. Exactly. I mean, there's, (laughs) there is something else happening there, but I think in this case, as they verge into the horror or they play around with things like in WandaVision where they played around with sort of the comedy aspects, I think they like pushing those boundaries there. I mean, it's always going to have that central tone, that sort of spine that everything needs to adhere to, but I don't think they mind you know, testing the waters and seeing how it goes. If we go oh, a little more PG-13 here, we'll go a little less PG here, you know. Yeah. I think you as know. everyone's been talking about this, I realize there's kind of, uh, they get have their cake and eat it too uh, a bit in that we, they can have this one, you know, being that's got kind of a Superman, Captain Mar- or Captain America um, vibe in terms of like trying to preserve life, of trying to not engage in violence, except as the last necessity of trying to you know pull other people back from the brink of doing it. Then you've got kind of more of a realistic Batman-y, I don't know what the Marvel equivalent of somebody who's a little bit killy, but really avoids it generally. And then you've got a Deadpool-ish, you know, the Deadpool-ish kind of thing at the end there, um, the extreme uh, Lockley character. Uh, but you get one person, all you have to have is one one actor who and one uh you know being in this world who can split among those so you can have moral discussions among yourself and then see the total absence of you know any moral judgment of just a killing machine too to be clear though it you know steven once he sort of accepts the fact that they are one and the same person you know you have that big moment on the boat yeah. where he's like okay you got this well you know what if you've got this that means i got this too and he starts swinging about real heavy <laughs> and by the end they are like in the big battle scene you know you've you've got the the swoopy winged moon knight and then you know seconds later you've got the the neat besuited moon knight and they're both trying to kick ass so it's not but like he and the other, yeah, yeah, well, he he doesn't abhor violence, but there's he has he has maybe the same PG thirteen limit that Chip does, and, and significant uh-huh. that, that it's about them kind of meeting in the middle, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like it's a merging. Uh, 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 this, no this extra bring, killing. <laughs> this brings to mind something we mentioned a little bit earlier, which is the Mummy. If that late nineties Mummy movie with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz were made today, I think it would have. It was a PG-13. I think it would it would be a little bit more violent and a little bit scarier the way that this it show is. Tom and Cruise the, in it. Wait, no, no God, no, 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 no. Um, but I mean the 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 big the big the big difference between then and now is that the reason the mummy was such an unexpected success was because it was this mashup of all kinds of stuff of horror and action and romance and humor. And, uh, the, the moon Knight show is less surprising because we've gotten, we've gotten a bit of this, this kind of mashup vibe from, from Marvel, but it's gone a little bit further in a few little respects and it's not straying so far off of the house style that it feels completely different. In fact, that I mean, one of the big criticisms is that all Marvel stuff feels so samey. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I like about Moon Knight is that in a lot of the core ways, yeah, it's, it is still very samey, but it feels different. It it feels it feels like something else um, because of the places in which 
they're choosing to push the envelope and they have the breathing room of six episodes instead of just one movie to tell it. So instead it's six around an hour, uh, serial films. I'll bring along a question my 15-year-old asked that's uh, a little related about the sort of samey, not samey stuff is uh, they were like, uh, hey, wait a minute. So the Egyptian gods are real in the Marvel Universe. And now watching Thor, uh, Love and Thunder, uh, it's like, wait, are the Greek gods real too? And I'm like, what? You only want the Norwegian Norse gods to be real? There's lots of gods. We got lots of gods you can talk to here. They're all aliens, right? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I guess in in one version of the Marvel Universe, they are, right? But in others, they're... Not there. Also, some gods are in the DC universe too. I realize it's very confusing. I wonder if they have to rent them out. Like, okay, we'll take Hercules this week, and uh, you know, I'll mark the episode when Disney buys Warner Brothers. It'll get even more confusing. <laughs> oh God! Uh-oh. Oh no! Haven't been saying it for years. It's going to happen eventually. I was picturing a, uh, a Moises as you were describing uh, uh, the uh, Layla character. I was picturing it's like, wait a minute, could we do a could Marvel do a Tempopo like film in which you just have like the end of Avengers Endgame was a little bit like it where they're handing the glove off and you kind of went through different scenarios, relationships, conversations. It was very quick, right? Quick, 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 quick. And I was like, could we have a <laughs> we have a series or a movie in which you're just following superheroes? I mean, it's a little bit of. Um, uh, uh, the oh, I'm sorry, Astro City. It's a little bit like that. The backstage at you know the superheroes are off doing your thing, their thing, and we're kind of off to the side. The you're watching the repercussions happen. But I just like the idea that like Layla would run on stage, she'd be doing a thing, whatever, and another superhero would come in, and then you just go off with that superhero off on that whole. Doesn't he? You know, we're just in an, a whole other adventure happening with uh, all these interesting side characters. I mean, there was a time that the Avengers all lived in one big mansion and were all roommates. And that's oh my that, god, that, that was the whole setup. Yeah, the the, the MCU the version of that is weird when you think about it. Yeah. 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 Wow, hijinks. I mean, they had the headquarters, but that wasn't quite it at all. I know. So I'd like to switch to geography for a moment. The series was created oh, by this Jeremy. Random pursuits. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Ding. Uh, that's five points. Uh, let, me, for, let, me, um, let me know when it rotates back to literature. So Jeremy Slater created the series, but I think the uh, creator who I think had the biggest thumb on the scales of this series, so to speak, was director Mohamed Diab, who really infused most of these episodes with not just Egyptology or Egyptian myth, but Cairo, 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 um, modern Egypt. Uh, it meant a lot to have uh, the little girl asking uh, Layla if she was an Egyptian superhero. Um, the music, um, mm-hmm. the the music, the atmosphere. I think Marvel is doing a better job uh, with property after property of not just giving them their own sort of visual identity, but their sense of place. And I think that... Um, Mohab Diab was very explicitly wanting to bring Egyptian culture in all varieties into this se- into the series, and it felt to me as an outsider looking in that he succeeded mightily. I did a lot of searching of um, music tracks from this from this uh, series on streaming platforms. It just it sounded different. It reminded me of uh some of the things that were done with black panther um i i I really uh, i really appreciate that specificity Uh, one thing i thought was really uh, just as a sort of it's almost a throwaway thing but i read an interview with uh muhammad diab where he's talking about this was the shot i think at the i want to say at the end of episode three 
where uh, Mark wakes up in the hotel room and stumbles over and opens the curtains to see the pyramids, which is, you know, the pointing out that in so many versions of this on screen, you think of the pyramids as off in the desert and far away. They're basically in the city. (laughs) Like the city goes right up to that area. And so it's, that's why you, this was not a, like uh, a shot that they did to kind of, you know, have shock value by, Oh, there's the pyramids right out of his window. It's like, no, that's, that's the actual geography of the place and in some ways, we treat it as it, as though it is a separate thing from the modern life, as you as you were mentioning, where in fact it is just a a fact of life, a part of the existence in this city. Uh, and I thought that was kind of just a a lovely subtle thing because I remember finding that out years ago in you know one of the classes I took on the Near East and. It just blew my mind because everybody thinks of, oh, the, there you got the Cairo, and then you go out into the desert, and there's pyramids way out there, and it's like, no, oh, they're right there, man. Well, there's basically like I think it's a Pizza Hut that's right there. Um, <laughs> the reason that I live in the apartment that I live in right now is actually thanks to Cairo, uh, because my my spouse <gasps> my spouse Stephen uh, visited Egypt uh, a number of years ago, and at the time he lived out in the burbs, and he fell in love with downtown Cairo, like just the life of the city and how vibrant it felt, and how you know if you could cross the street in Cairo, you were a superhero and could do anything. Like he just really <laughs> felt like it was just he fell in love with it and. Just decided that's it i'm moving downtown so i live downtown edmonton because of cairo and as you know he wasn't around for every episode that i watched of this but he did have some some comments on how you know cool it was to see cairo and how how it reminded him of the things that he liked about it and how yes the pyramids are like right there well speaking to the divide between the the writing that jeremy slater did and uh, the the creative uh, work that that Muhammad Diab did on this, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't say that that Jer Slater, you know, didn't put any of the culture stuff in it, or even that that um, you know he he necessarily got much wrong. But I think what he did so well is he left room yes. in the script for somebody who knew the place, knew the people, knew the vibe to make sure that all of that worked and um, structurally. Um, you know, people, people like to mention, Oh, the guy who wrote that fantastic four movie that went terribly, AKA all of them. Um, but in particular, the, the most recent one, Oh no, he's going to write moon Knight. He's a very talented screenwriter and it's not his fault. The, the version of the movie that he wrote is not what we saw in theaters. The 12 of us who actually saw that fantastic four movie. And, and so, uh, as I find is often the case in, in the movie industry, it's easy to give credit or not give credit to absolutely the wrong person because, you know, it's a miracle that anything gets made at all because of how many things can go wrong and utterly crash something like having your board ape stolen. Who knows? Um, uh. Uh, now I'm just quoting things from the, from the Slack today. Um, (laughs) so I, I, yeah, I, I think, I think, I think it's wonderful that is a collaborative work that Marvel studios, they have their own internal structure and process for building things and pairing people to projects. And at a certain point it gets handed off. And the notion of this part of production, this part of production, the editing, you know, whatever, these are the various drafts of the movie. And at each stage of those drafts, it gets handed over to the editor, to the visual effects director, back to the editor, um, and then back uh, to the director uh, if the director has final cut. Or in the case of Marvel Studios, I think uh, Kevin Mike, Kevin Feige and, uh, and a parliament of of, uh, of uh, upper echelon philosopher kings. Um, I, I, I think it's 
it's interesting to look at this as a product of that process that is somewhat mysterious and that we can infer certain things about. But I, I mean, as, as Chip said, like looking up some of the music in this show enlightened me to the fact that not only is it good music that just has a good vibe and a good beat and whatever, but there's meaning woven into the tracks that he chose because of who these performers are, uh, what it is that these performers are singing about in a, a language that is not native to any of us that are on this podcast right now. Um, and subtle bits of um, positive progressive thought that are inserted into popular culture that, that is not meant as programming or anything, but, but very much has a statement uh, of its own that aligns with the ideals of the characters that are ostensibly our protagonists in a show like this. Um, there's, there's something interesting to making a show that you set part of in Egypt and that is entrenched in all kinds of very ancient um, Egyptian things that ties so directly to current events in Egypt, which is, you know, a, a, a calm, placid place full of huh. no dissent whatsoever. I'd like to wrap up our conversation with um, just the broad question of story, because we've been talking about a, a, about a lot of the components here. Um, but in the end, especially because this was a large, almost totally self-contained, you could have seen a version of this story in the 90s on a bad syndicated channel. Um, it would have been done much more poorly than this one was. <laughs> Moon Knight, the legendary journey shot yeah. in New Zealand. <laughs> Ta Tales of the Moon Knight. Um, the Moon Knighter. Yeah. Uh, but how'd the story in the end hold up? Did the story satisfy you? What did you think of the shape of the story? And then we'll, and then we'll lightning round for some um, favorite highlights. Boy, you know what? It, it's 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 fun because I did just finish watching the last two episodes right before I podcasted. So I didn't have a lot of time for it to sit. And when you ask me these questions, I'm I'm finding that my answers are sometimes su surprising me. And uh, your question about the story is like, "Oh right, there was a story." <laughs> and 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 I don't mean that I don't mean that to be an insult. Like it was it was yeah. it was fine, but for me, the story worked really well as scaffolding for the character development that I saw and for the performances. I was really invested in seeing these two people who are actually one people or maybe three people, whatever. Anyway, I was very invested in this character coming to terms with himself, with the different versions of himself. I was really invested in Layla, you know, getting her due and coming through everything that she came through. And I, yeah, I guess it's good that the world was not, you know, mostly killed by an ancient goddess. Yep, that's a good thing. But to <laughs> me, that was just kind of off to the side. That was that the whole plot to me was the MacGuffin, honestly. If I can chime in on completely on the other end of, of recency, <laughs> I, I saw the first four episodes of these six uh, as press screeners before other people had gotten to see them. And then I watched each of those four episodes as they dropped weekly, rewatching it and seeing things that they were dropping early on that showed up later in those four episodes, but not having seen the fifth uh. and sixth episodes, I was, I was champing at the bit. I had created even more fan theories in the back of my head as to where they were going with it. Some of them came true. Some of them did not. Uh, 
some things surprised me, um, but I was delighted that knowing the character and knowing that Jake Lockley just had to be in there somewhere, at least hoping against hope that they were going to go that route with it. I felt good not being fooled by the show and and feeling like I, I got a little bit of extra credit for knowing the source material a little bit. But that didn't play into me being able to enjoy the show. That was just an additional layer of here. Thanks for having been around and and reading the comics for 30 years or whatever. Um, that that to me encapsulates what I think as they've settled into this sort of house style that they go with, they want to reward that. But at the same time, they're not going to do that at the expense of telling an interesting and compelling story that somebody can come to without knowing anything about it. Um, and then rewatching the third time, especially the early episodes, what really just sung for me was how beautifully they structured the little breadcrumbs that they were dropping to be picked up later in the season. And that to me validates the fact that we don't know if this is a truly limited series and they're not doing a season two or if it's a limited series that's going to uh, that's going to result in seeing Moon Knight pop up in something else. There are rumors that the werewolf by night Halloween special that they've been talking about um, uh, being in production uh, in secret, that, that that is where we're going to see some of these supernaturally tinged characters meet up Avengers style um, for the first time. I, I would love it if we saw Moon Knight again this Halloween. That would that would be great if we don't. I know that I am going to be happy to see Moon Knight wherever he shows up again, just like I'm going to be thrilled to see Agatha Harkness wherever she shows up after WandaVision. Um, that that's that's what I, I, that's how I'd wrap up how how I feel this landed for me. Um, I, I don't quite get the, oh man, you know, look at that, that kind of a cliffhanger. Well, that, that's what cliffhangers are. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but there are a lot of cliffhanging things uh, that, that people do with stories. It's just a thing that story writers um, like to use because it, it makes, it makes you hungry for the next chapter. And if you're not hungry for the next chapter, then why is there going to be a next chapter wherever it is and however it's told? Well, I mean, you know, and especially because the MCU is developed this whole web of characters and stories and everything interlock. I mean, you know, much as the Marvel Comics continuity did back in the day, I am hopeful that we won't get to a point where they'll have footnotes flash up on screen telling you to refer to a previous episode of another show to explain something. <laughs> I do want um, that option, though. That would, <laughs> that be, would be cool. That's like the X-ray feature on Amazon, basically. But one of the <laughs> one of the one of the rumors that I won't say what it's attached to, but there are rumors that, and it's not Deadpool, that there's an upcoming MCU thing that involves a character breaking the fourth wall, and that's the version of comic captions that I'm I'm kind of okay with, hmm. but only if they do it right. Yeah. But uh, I think overall, the story in this, here's the thing. I watched all those Netflix series that, that Chip noped out of, and 13 episodes is tough to pull off uh, a cohesive <laughs> story. It is, uh, you know, the number of failures there is much higher than the number of successes. I'm old enough to remember when 24 <laughs> was the order of the day. Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, you go back to syndication, you know, ones that were looking for syndication 26. I mean, hey, Chip, I covered Arrow for so many years that had like 22 <laughs> episodes every season. Uh, I, think, I think you're still watching season one of Arrow. <laughs> it's possible I'm still going on. But I think six episodes is a great size. I mean, to Moises's point yeah. from earlier, 
it does mimic the the sort of classic trade paperback feel, and it is a good length for telling a story that is larger than a movie without sort of spiraling into the we need filler. As a result, I think almost every episode of this show felt really solid to me with the exception of... Uh, I think it was episode three was probably the weakest, which is because it, they had to shoehorn in the introduction of yeah. the Midnight Man, which sadly, because of the death of the actor who played that character, will may or may not be a thing that ever shows up again. And that one, it felt a little bit like we're kind of all over the place in this episode. But other than that sort of softish middle in there, I felt like that they did a really good job of keeping it very tight. They clearly had a story they wanted to tell. I love the episode, episode five, which is goes into Mark's backstory in the in, through, via the sanitarium. It is an amazing piece of storytelling in and of its own right. I even felt like the the sequel or the sorry the the finale was a like fascinating construction of an episode to tie up all these features from the from the kaiju battle to the on the ground battle and then the absolute kind of wackiness of choosing to resolve the main fight between our hero and our villain off screen <laughs> which is seems on the face of it to be a thing that you don't do in a superhero show, right? You want to see the good guy triumph over the bad guy. We just cut that basically. I <laughs> he blacks it. out. It's yeah. great. It's it's it's, it's, it's great. Shocking. You, you, you fill in the blanks thanks to the mid credits scene. Yeah, and it and it, uh-huh. it and you you're okay with it. You don't need to see him pummel Ethan Hawke. In fact, you kind of would prefer him not to, uh, just because of who your affinities for these characters and everything you've seen them go through. Um, so all of that, I think, really did a pretty good job. It's not, you know, I, like I said, it had a couple soft spots throughout, but I think overwhelmingly, it really delivered for me. I think you're right about the furniture moving in episode three, and and thankfully four, five, and six make up for it. Yeah. yeah. Glenn, last word for you on uh, the shape of the story. Uh, I was I like the fact that they gave it room. Uh, you know, sometimes I felt like they're doing a little too much um, drawing out for no particular reason, but that's okay because they have good actors and good writing and beautiful things to look at. And so I'm like, all right, they want to give this little air. Let's let that you know open it up and breathe a little, breathe a little, smell it, let it age. Then we can pour the wine. It'll be delicious, much better than after it's been in the decanter um so i um i didn't i i I found the whole thing sort of delightful because i think we've talked about this throughout it was um it was different so it was hard to and because i didn't know the uh the source material that closely especially when they've made changes uh it was difficult to sit there and try to anticipate or have accurate anticipation of what was going on so for me it was sometimes there were you know like oh wait well we spent a lot of time on this is this really necessary? Do we need to still, you know, we've sort of figured this out. Can we move on? But then there'd be another reason to be there, to spend a little more time there. So they let us, you know, inhabit, let us visit. It wasn't a film. It wasn't two and a half hours, a brisk two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes. It was uh, six episodes and, uh, and enjoyable. And, you know, I think there's those great little, those great little beats where if this were tighter or shorter or had been much more plot heavy, we wouldn't have gotten, uh, you know, the, uh, we wouldn't have gotten to wear it and, um, wouldn't have gotten some wonderful moments, the whole exploration of Mark's childhood. And, uh, uh, and just from representation, I'd say it's nice to see, um, just like it's nice to see Egyptian characters, Arabic characters, Muslim characters emerging finally in, uh, across like these mainstream, uh, uh, issues, uh, uh, 
uh, productions, I should say, movies and TV and so forth. Uh, it's also great. You know, Mark's an unabashedly Jewish uh, American. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, there, besides Superman, who else is Jewish in, uh, in comics? Uh, ben, <laughs> Kitty, ben, Pride. Ben Kitty, Graham, Pride. Kitty Pride. <laughs> Kitty Pride, Ben Graham. All right, there Kate, are a few. But, but I like that Kate they Kate. root... <laughs> <laughs> when we get to the second Maybe dozen, pop. Glenn will stop. Oh my God. It's uh yeah, yeah. But it's no, I like the, I like the fact that in the context of this, his Jewishness and his upbringing becomes important. So you see them sitting Shiva and he refuses to be part of it. And you know, there's, um, there's a, uh, by having those moments in it, everything felt that much more real. Um, this is my problem with, there's a lot of things, that I think try to be like what Marvel has largely successfully done and they lack stakes because they haven't let us know these people. So we don't care about them. And then terrible things happen. You're like, well, that's too bad, but whatever. But you know, if they give us time to know and know them inside and out, then there's that sympathy. I want to know what happens to Mark and Steven uh, next and all these other folks. I do. So, I do yeah, love to your point Glenn, that has his Judaism is like, it's there and it's, it's important, but it's not something that like we necessarily need to dwell on. It's just a fact that yeah. who he is. It's great. I, it's not I, tapping on, not tapping on the glass, on the glass, and going, "Get it? Yeah, Get exactly." It? It's not there to check a box, really. It is, frankly, like Ben Grimm being Jewish is kind yeah. of a nice little you know note in Fantastic Four. I don't feel like it was ever emphasized. Like occasionally, oh yeah, he's Jewish. That's right. That's great. Well, and on that representation note, the fact that he's a, a Latin actor who who does who does have ethnic jewish ancestry um ah. he is not alone uh, among people mm-hmm. who who are of sephardic origin and so on um who you look at them and you go well wait a minute you're supposed to be playing gomez adams gomez adams not rabbi horowitz or something um I, I i think it's it's wonderful that that marvel is embracing not just going well we got somebody who is ostensibly from the diaspora representation but um but specifically going into the diaspora and going, yes, we can have a Latin actor who's Guatemalan Cuban um, play someone who also just turns out to be Jewish. Um, and and that doesn't make him less Jewish. I mean, to some people it does. And that's an argument. And maybe it's been on Reddit and maybe I should stay away from Reddit. Um, <laughs> about, about, oh, about, is this become an intervention for Moises? Oh, suddenly? No, no, I think it, we need to you know, it's, rotate. No, no it's, it's, I, I think, I think it is, I think it is good that um, even though I, I'm sure they knew they would probably get some pushback from, you know, not casting one of the guys from the, the Big Bang Theory as the Jewish superhero. Um, uh, you know, they, they went the, the way that they did. And it is its own kind of representation that um, I'm, I'm glad that it makes people angry because it means people are talking about it and thinking about it. There we go. So uh, last but not least, a quick lightning round of favorite moments in the show. I'm going to go first so nobody steals it. There is literally <laughs> no reason why uh, Stephen Grant, I get it, but there is literally no reason that Mark Spector should be shouting in fear at a hippo saying hello. Favorite <laughs> moment of the series. <laughs> I knew I would love it for the rest of it. That was that was that was that was what made the show for me. I think the first appearance of the Mister Night Suit uh, for me is a fantastic moment as someone who read those comics and didn't really and loved the way that they did it here. It's it's a different take on it, even from the comics, in terms of having sort of Mark and Steven manifest their own suits. But that scene where he you know jumps out and has to summon the suit and lands, and then he <laughs> falls over, and then, <laughs> and then Mark gives him crap for looking like Colonel Sanders. All of that's great. Makes me wonder what Jake's suit looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh no! 
I like, uh, I'll take my favorite moment is everything that make a lamb wave appears in, in the whole thing. But particularly I do like the, the, where to where it's talking to her, uh, off screen essentially or in, you know, in her mind. And then, uh, the unveiling of the costume and then the raising of the arms, you're like, Oh, it's like knife. you know, it's, it's not like this little, because I think that's a good gag that you're like, Oh, they've given her this outfit. We were talking about that earlier. Right. It seems a little unprotected, whatever. And then it's like, bring, you're like, Oh Jesus. Like <laughs> Alex and I both shouted aloud it was just a good a nice reveal welcome to knife town <laughs> <laughs> i i already mentioned my favorite moment which was the hug like i just i liked seeing the two parts mm-hmm. of his personality mm-hmm. that we had grown to love uh, grow to love each other and hug and and that but so i will say uh, as a secondary thing i loved the moment at the end where we learned where the character of Stephen Grant came from, that he was actually a character from this movie. And I remember even before I watched the show, hearing about how great it was, because I, I I was a latecomer to this, hearing how great it was to see Oscar Isaac playing a couple of different characters. But gosh, he's got a really weird London accent. Gee, that's just a weird accent. Guess what, guys? Yeah. It ain't real. <laughs> I love the point at the end where you recognize, oh, this is a guy who is developing a character based on a movie who, like, you know, maybe the actor in that movie, even in uh, universe, is not actually British and it's putting on a fake accent. So the fact that his accent is even, you know, remotely correct, I think is fantastic. And if it's a little bit weird, that's fine because he's not actually British. I want to shout out the uh, museum shop uh, stuff just a little bit, too. It's totally, you know, by the way, quickly abandoned. But uh, having worked in a museum in a, as an as a undergraduate in the conservation lab, not at the gift shop, unfortunately. Um, but I just like the characters that they populated the museum with and different people caring about weird stuff in different ways and giving them a hard time. And I was like, they didn't make it like, Security Oh, he's a doctor guard. of whatever. And he's, he's not being respected. It was just more like, everyone's just like, look, mate, we're going to give you hell, oh, whatever. You're full of wanker. You know, it's great. It was fun. I, it, it, choosing a moment, um, is difficult. So I, I think I decided to choose a dumb one, uh, that is for me <laughs> here, here. and anybody else who listens to the pen addict podcast or also who also uses fountain pens. But in the psych ward, when he goes into Harrow's office the first time, Harrow has an all-white Lamy Safari fountain pen. But there is one detail about it that only, only, only actual fountain pen users who know the Lamy Safari would notice. And so, so the cap of the pen, when you go to the retail store and you look at the lovely display case or whatever, there's a little, little circle of cardboard that prevents the cap from snapping all the way on. And the reason for that is that each Lamy Safari fountain pen has an ink cartridge in it. And if you don't have that in the way, then if you, if you, uh, if you put the pen all the way together, then it breaks the seal on the ink cartridge. Um, and you, you don't want to break the seal on the ink cartridge until you've actually bought it and you're going to use it. So the prop department for whatever reason, whether completely by accident or intentionally, either way, I love it as a choice or not a choice. That little ring of cardboard is the one non-white thing that you can see on that pen. And I find it hilarious uh, because the moment that I mentioned it um, to uh, to fellow pen nerds, it immediately set off a debate as to whether there's no way that it was intentional. Those idiots, how could they screw up such a thing? And I said, well, if there's any craft job in the world where I think people know what Lamy Safari fountain pens are and how they work. It's probably pr- uh, production designers. Mm-hmm. Just just putting it out there. Um, so th- this has been uh, your micro edition of the pen addict. I'll uh, take you back <laughs> off of Relay FM and back onto the incomparable. I 
was searching for a mightier than the sword gag here, but I just can't make it happen. Um, I know the, the, the chest blades are mightier than the sword. There we go. Um, Moon Knight, a success for Disney Plus, I think. And uh, really glad that we got it. And I really hope that we get more. And I want to thank our uh, esteemed panel. Of all of us, I'm the newest to the incomparable. Uh, <gasps> and I'm, I'm the baby here. Uh, so I'm <laughs> pleased to be in the presence of such uh, incredible veterans. Dan Morin, thank you. Surrender the body, worm. Erica Ensign, thank you. I am I'm here for even more, Oscar Isaac. Just bring him back, please. Glenn Fleischman, thank you. I'm just an old bird skeleton head, but I appreciate being invited. And Moises Chuyan, thank you as well. I can't believe nobody else said, Laters, gators. (laughs) 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 And on that bombshell, thank you all for joining us on The Incomparable to talk about Moon Knight. Take care, everybody.